Welcome back to the Swim Swam Breakdown, where we are bringing you this week's top news in swimming. Uh, we're kicking things off with the ISL. We saw matches seven and eight. Uh, we had a few curveballs, first of which Sarah Showstrom returns surprisingly to competition after returning home to Sweden, then getting cleared for her elbow to come back to competition. Uh, any thoughts on this, guys? Sarah Showstrom is the most incredible swimmer in the world right now. Um, that this whole elbow thing, and she keeps coming back. I guess she wasn't great this weekend, um, coming off the travel and and back and forth to to Sweden. Um, but the 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 speed with which she's recovered from this, you know, I, I talked to her coach Tom Rushton when she left, and he said, you know, as crazy as it is, she won that Olympic silver medal without being full strength. She still has more rehab to do. And that was crazy. And it it turns out she just healed way faster than she should have. Um, She's just incredible. She just keeps doing, doing new and crazy things. My initial thought just from the league perspective was that you know, for whatever reason, she clearly wants to be there and be with the team. And whether that's because she's having a blast or just because she's winning a ton of money, either way, awesome that that opportunity is there for her. And and I think it really says something about the opportunity that she, you know, I'm, I'm sure it wasn't like totally smooth sailing to, to get herself back out there and was probably a little bit of a pain in, in some senses, but says a lot that she wanted to be back there. So she told us that she really wants to buy a house in Stockholm. She doesn't, she doesn't currently own a house in Stockholm and she wants to buy one. She said they're expensive. And I looked up the medium home price in Stockholm and it's about $350,000, which last year Caleb Dressel made $300,000 plus his, um, his, his fee. And there are more meets. There's more money this year. So if she is the highest earner in the league, she will earn about the cost of a house in Stockholm. I thought that was fun. I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I saw that she told us that too. And I thought that was funny just because I would think Sarah Showstrom's like one of the top, the, the top 0.001% earners in our sport, especially with how much she's raced with world cups, you know, even before the ISL, the, the international success she's had, it's like, okay. I mean, I totally respect you, you know, wanting to get paid, get a house, but I was a little surprised that it's like, oh, uh, yeah, you, you have interests that are the same as the rest of us. I'm, I'm hoping her Swedish house is palatial. I, I would love to see it once she gets it. Uh, Although I don't, I don't know how long you can swim outside in Sweden. So a true palace would have to have a pool and I don't know if they put pools in houses in Stockholm. Maybe hers will have a, a rotating like awning that you can, yeah. uh, the, the roof or a bubble anyway. Uh, moving on to, uh, now our next ISL topic, 15 meter violations. Uh, we, uh, ISL continues to be pretty shoddy on their DQs and their overturns as well. Uh, we saw Tomo Voss of the LA current get DQ'd and then reinstated in the 200 IM. I, looking at that DQ specifically, I felt like that was from the video I saw. <laughs> it's pretty obvious he didn't go past 15. Um, did you guys have different thoughts on that one? Yeah, I mean, some of these have been close. Tom Shields has basically admitted on the, the third round of the skins last week that he went past 15, but he thinks Coleman Stewart didn't. But, you know, Coleman Stewart was close enough that, you know, it was within the range of reason, um, depending on the camera angle and stuff. But this one, 
he was like two meters short. I mean, in the, the, uh, who was it? Rowdy sent us a video, um, this morning or this afternoon that showed the official, the officials like six feet away. So, you know, there's, we were a little concerned that maybe the officials were being pushed too far back because of the television equipment and all these other things, but he, he was so close. You, you know, it's, it's great that they had this extra sort of extrajudicial procedure that they could use because it's not in the rules that they're allowed to video review for 15 meter violations. Um, and I guess they just decided it was so egregious that they would, they would, they would use this sort of tribunal system to overturn it. Um, but man, that was a really bad call. Yeah. I mean, why are we even messing around at this point with it was close enough. It was in the range of reason. Like they need to get this locked down to be taken seriously. In my opinion, like this is a times based and results based sport. This isn't something subjective with judging like a gymnastics or something like that. Like fans, serious fans of, of results based sports like this want to see officials enforcing rules to a T and they need to have that consistency. If they're So Tori, philosophically, do you think, you know, if a star gets DQ'd, do we like the drama or do we, oh, do yeah. we not like the absence of the star? You know, when an NBA player fouls out, everybody hates that. But, you know, is, is this a little different? I am personally drawn to all things chaos in, in every sport. And if that means the star is getting DQ'd because they broke the rules, then I'm all for it. And I don't think there should be any sort of, uh, special treatment. Um, that's what adds to the fun of it, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, and there's, they're saying the times don't matter, right? They're saying the times don't matter, but they're still submitting them to FINA. They're still taking the world records and the, the American records and stuff. So the times do matter a little. Yeah. Brayden, can you just break down how you, you mentioned that like tribunal about overturning the call. And I was a little bit confused when I was reading about that. So the ISL officials, I guess are now, formally certified officials but they still are appealing to some sort of like italian board to make this call yeah the, essentially the italian federation that would oversee any other meet because these meets are sanctioned you know when the meets were in america they were sanctioned under usa swimming when they're in italy they're sanctioned under the italian federation because that's just sort of how the scheme works you you sanction through your national federation which has a sub sanction of fina um, so it, it's, it's still a, even though it's an ISL meet and it's a different format, it's all these other things, it is still sanctioned through the Italian Federation. And so their normal appeal process would still sort of take precedent over IS, ISL rules in a sense. Got it. It's not something we normally, we, we almost always see these sort of appeals fail um, because it, it has to be like, it, it, it kind of has to be like a misinterpretation of the rules. They're, they usually don't allow you to pull video and do this. So this is sort of interesting, even outside of an ISL world and whether or not we're going to see this change the way that, that swimming is officiated in the long term. They need to bring video review into all levels of swimming. It's, it's time. Yeah, I mean, the technology is clearly there. If there's anything that we know about the ISL, they have the technology to do these things that we don't typically see in swimming. And if we're not using replay review on a 15-meter violation, one of the more clear-cut violations, what's the point? We have the technology. It's time. The ISL certainly has the technology, as Tori said. Uh, moving, moving to outside the pool, we saw our first 
public hospitalization of COVID in Naples in the ISL, Maddie Wilson for the LA Current, missed out on LA's last match. She's been a huge player for them this season. Um, are you guys surprised at all that this was the first you know, big COVID case that someone had to miss, um, especially or at least hospitalization? I'm surprised by, for those who are watching on video, there's a large bug over Coleman's left shoulder and he is unfazed. He is, he is just a professional. He is rolling right through it. I can't ignore professional. Um, uh, you know, I think the athletes have been pretty good. I don't think they've been perfect. Um, and, and just sort of given the age demographics there, you're not going to put them all in Naples and expect them to be perfect. Um, Italy case counts are pretty low, which I think helps. I've been most impressed that these few cases we've seen, they, we, they've, depending on how, how transparent you think maybe they're being or not being about it. Um, there's been three reported cases. We suspect maybe one was a false positive. Um, but I'm surprised it hasn't spread through the teams. You know, even when we see them on interviews together, they're not wearing masks and they're very close together when they're in training, when they're in the gyms, there's, even though they all have their own hotel rooms, there's still a lot of opportunities for it to spread. Um, We don't know what percentage of the ISL athletes are vaccinated, but I assume that's helping. Um, Plus, you know, Italy, Italy is pretty strict about, you can't go into places if you're not vaccinated or, or testing clear, which I guess they're all testing clear with a high regularity, but, you know, good for the ISL that they found a way to balance not making it a total lockdown without sort of a total disaster scenario. Um, I think this is kind of a freak occurrence a little bit that she got hospitalized on the breakthrough, but, you know, it's a reminder. We, we see all the data about, Olympians and asthma and asthma is a pre-existing condition for severe COVID cases. So um, while they're all young and, and generally pretty healthy, they, a lot of them have asthma among other things. So it's, it's not like they're totally immune from these severe cases either. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to speculate on whether we would have, you know, have expected to see more hospitalizations or anything like that. But I think as Braden says, it's just a reminder that it's real, a reminder that, um, you know, that's, that's something that exists in this little bubble they're trying to put together. And I, I was curious, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think we heard about any cases on the team until we heard she was hospitalized or was there a previous announcement that they were dealing with cases? No, that was the first, first that one was announced. That's that's sort of interesting, just from a you know protocol perspective, because with the breakers, we obviously heard as soon as they were isolating, or you know, relatively shortly after the, they found out about the positive test, what was happening. And um, I'm just a little bit curious from a policy perspective why that didn't come out. Iron, but they didn't tell us about the iron ones. one either. Right. So that seems right. to be the the new way they're going to handle it. Yeah. Uh, keeping it with Australian swimmers, we'll move to Shana Jacks. Uh, appeal being dismissed by the court of arbitration for sport. She is back in the pool. She is seemingly going to compete again. Uh, do we think that Shayna will come back and be a true force on team Australia? I mean, her timing is somewhat good in that the Campbell sisters are probably not long for those Australian relays. So, I mean, that's a, that's a big hurdle to overcome there. They're still super, super deep. They've still got Emma McKeon and, and, and a group of young sprinters coming up behind her. I, it's hard to know what kind of toll this is going to take on her long-term. 
Um, I think the sort of general media reaction in Australia has been really interesting to follow. Um, if you believe half the, the media, she's this terrible tainted person. If you believe the other half of the media, specifically one individual, I'm not going to call him out by name, but who is on her paid staff and is also a member of the media who has been sort of reporting a very Shana Jack is a victim version of this story. Um, so, you know, the, the psychology of how she's going to view herself as an athlete going forward, I think is going to be very interesting. And two years out, it's, it can be hard to get that edge back, you know, after, after such a long break from competition and all these other things going on in her life. I'm, I'm curious as to an athlete who has a band like that. I mean, like, do they keep training? What level, what level of athleticism and or swimming prowess do they maintain or are they able to maintain without a formal coach or swimming or whatever? So it's, I mean, yeah, I guess, I guess only time will tell, but um, I've always wondered that when athletes have bands like this and then especially and are able to come back and, um, you know, really make an impact at the national or international stage. Uh, I think I did see, sorry, Coleman. I think I did see that she had been training since May, maybe on sort of a more casual basis. And then obviously when the rest of the Australian team kind of went into full trials and Olympics mode, she wasn't part of that, but I think she's been back in the water at least for a few months now. Yeah. I mean, I I think it'll certainly be interesting to follow that narrative as well. Moving on to NCAA college swimming, it it, it has begun. We're having hopefully what is more of a normal college dual meet mid-season conference NCAA season. Uh, preseason predictions, I don't think these are too hard, but uh, who, do we see, who do we see at the top in the NCAA for the men and women? The Texas men are going to win. It's not going to be close unless something disastrous happens. You know, the, in, in spite of popular opinion, the Texas men don't always hit their taper. Um, we've, we've shown the data on it from Andrew Merrigan time and time again. They sometimes hit their taper great, sometimes miss, just like most of the top teams. But this year they've got such a big cushion, it seems like, that I don't even know it's going to matter. Um, you know, on the women's side, Virginia has so much momentum. They had such a good summer. They're getting in. They're just reloading with talent with uh, Gretchen Walsh and everybody else. And it's, I don't know, I, I know Stanford's got a group coming in. I know Tori's got an opinion on Stanford, um, but I, it's hard to see anybody catching Virginia. I think, I think this sort of predictability of the team battle is offset a little bit by the excitement of the individual battles with so many fifth years coming back. Um, so, but I think it's going to be a season where we're more focused on those individual battles than the team battles. Like maybe last year was more of a team oriented sort of season. Yeah. I mean, I think with regard to Stanford, obviously incredible class coming in and I, you know, I think it's hard to, to overlook them with, with the Reagan Smith coming in and, and adding to that team. Um, again, I'm just, you know, like you just said, excited for the, the individual battles and the individual, um, prowess we might see emerge in NCAA this year and obviously you're talking about Texas and we don't even know for sure if they've got Shane Casas out there adding to that that cushion as well so just a lot of excitement that you know isn't even necessarily locked in as far as we know at this point yet which is cool to see so with with Taylor Ruck coming back and Reagan Smith and all of the other names we don't have to run through the list they're on the website somewhere um you know, Stanford didn't have a great summer, both from their undergrads and their pros. 
do you, how much do you think that carries over where Virginia did have a great summer? Do you think that momentum matters or do you think it's kind of a clean slate? I would guess clean slate with just coming off the COVID year and, and everything that's happened. I think it's the perfect time for a reset. Um, yeah, I can't say I have a, a strong opinion on that. Maybe Coleman uh, can add to that. I, I think the only thing I have to add is that <clears throat> obviously everyone's COVID situation was different. I think California's was probably one of one of the most strict, but also maybe for swimming easier to navigate just because all their pools are outdoors. And so maybe they were able to train, but <clears throat> also in terms of livelihood, they, they might've gone through a little bit more than other States that were able to move a little more freely, especially in like such a populated area, like the Bay area. Um, so I, I think we'll see Stanford kind of come back um, on the women's side. I, not, I don't know about the men, not talking about them, but on, on the women's side, like I think Greg is pretty proven in like w- what he's done in the past and um, with such with such a spectacularly talented class coming in, it seems like they're, I, I think they will give Virginia a run for sure, but I do agree Virginia has a lot more momentum and, uh, and surefire, surefire swims um, in their arsenal headed into this season. What's interesting is that, you know, we think about it's Virginia, Stanford, Virginia, Stanford, Stanford was 300 points behind Virginia at NCAAs. And I know Reagan's going to score a lot of points. Taylor's probably going to score a lot of points, but that's a 300 point gap to make up. That is a lot of first place finishes. Yeah. But I mean, you think about the relays and how that, affects those numbers. And I mean, I, I, I'm guessing Stanford's going to score like hundred to 150 more points in relays alone. And that's, it's still a lot to make up with the the individual swims. But um, I mean, I just feel like overall the team performance is going to be a lot better than, than there were last year, just because they were so under womaned. And just as a complete total aside from their actual pool performances, I am one thing I'm looking at for this season is uh, the emergence of the the NIL deals and and the various gear that we're going to see people sporting. Like obviously Reagan with Speedo, I believe, um, and I think Stanford is an arena school, but I might have that wrong at this point. But just curious to see how that's going to play out for swimming. I don't think it's you know necessarily going to be the biggest sport where we visually see uh, any huge changes, but. I'm just kind of curious to see how that's how that's going to look. They've been pretty clear on these deals that they're they're national and international deals only. Um, but mm-hmm. we can't pretend like, like there's not going to be an impact. We can't pretend like like they're not going to have to scoot away for a weekend to go do a photo shoot or or so on and so forth. So yeah, we'll see we'll see how much distraction it is or maybe you know maybe it's a motivator maybe we'll see fast swimming with swimmers trying to get that money get that bag yeah i was gonna say have has has there been a distinction between okay if you're competing for a school you have to wear this suit whereas if you're competing for anyone else you you have to wear this suit and it it will be curious to see how that comes into play (laughs) you know if the whole team's wearing tier or arena and then you have one athlete wearing speedo it's, it's been pretty wide open because they basically, the NCAA ran as fast as they could to get away from the lawsuits. But like, 
the, there were early iterations of this where they talked about if you were um, signing a deal, you couldn't sign a deal with somebody who also sponsored your program, which was interesting. So not, not the opposite, which you would think about you couldn't sign with a competitor. You couldn't sign with somebody who sponsored your program. And I think that was more about not siphoning the dollars away from the athletics program. Um, but yeah, there's, there, it's not going to be clean. Somebody's going to, I think the programs in general are going to take a hit from this. I don't know that it's a huge hit. And so, I mean, I don't know how much the college teams are getting in these deals. I think maybe the coaches are getting checks and, and the, the programs are getting a little bit of a check, but maybe it's more of a coach driven deal. Um, and maybe it doesn't matter that much. So I guess we'll see how that plays out <clears throat> as we move forward through that. And now it is time for our new segment on the Swim Swim Breakdown, Sink or Swim. Coming in with our first Sink or Swim today, ISL jackpots, because they have come up again. Braden, we'll start with you. ISL jackpots, Sink or Swim. I am sinking ISL jackpots. I just don't think they do enough to be worth the confusion. Um, I And I think the momentum is is going away from them. So if the coaches have their ways, if the GMs have their ways, and we don't know if they do, I think they'll be gone next year. Just to play devil's advocate, I'll, I'll swim the jackpots. I think every or almost every major sport has its random rule that half of the audience hates. We've got like NFL overtime rules. We've got penalty kicks in soccer. We've got runner on second to start extra innings in baseball. It's just one of those things that kind of gets tested out. It may or may not add to the fan experience, but it adds some excitement. And I think what we've seen from the math is that jackpots don't really affect the outcome of the meets all that often. So I think they're kind of worth playing around with. I know a lot of people don't like the red flashing lane lines or the red flashing lanes in the broadcast. I kind of do actually I think it just gives a nice visual representation of just how much someone is dominating a race and I don't know, maybe they need some tweaking, but I think they will work. Moving on, uh, Ben Proud's 18-1, 50 free in practice from a push with fins, obviously. Uh, what do we think about that, sink or swim? I am swimming this all day long. Um, I love weird practice swims. It, it, I think it gives kids um, sort of a measuring stick for themselves. So I think it's fun in that way. Plus these guys are just freak athletes and, and just hearing 18 one, I don't care if you had fins. I don't care if you had a, a rocket pack on. That's just, that's just a weird number to hear. So I love it. I'm swimming this. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent with all of that. Um, I think one underrated part of that situation we haven't really talked about also is that the person publishing these swims is their new assistant coach um, slash social media manager, the swimsuit guy, AKA, or I guess not AKA, the opposite of AKA, Sonny Gray, <laughs> AKA the swimsuit guy, Sonny Gray, that's an A's player, Sonny Trigg. Um, he, I, I think that's just such an interesting situation. Like I'd love to find out more about what the agreement is, about how the athletes feel about, feel about having their, um, their prices filmed, their races filmed, how the league feels about a coach posting footage. That's just kind of an, an underexplored situation, I feel like, but all for funky swims from practice, making it to the public. I'm, I'm all about that, obviously, as, as the practice and pancakes guy. I'm, I'm a big fan of seeing any practice swim filmed, uh, <clears throat> but I digress. Sink or swim, will Michael Phelps' 400 IM world record stand? Let's go through 2024 Paris Olympics. Sink or swim? 
if Diaceto couldn't get it in front of a home crowd over the summer, nobody will ever break this world record. It will never be broken. They will stop swimming. The ISL will take over the world. They will drive all of the 400 IMers into the 100 freestyle and the 400 IM world record will never be broken. I am sinking the world record being broken by 2024. The hot take to follow up. Uh, I think I have a kind of similar take, maybe less less dramatic, less extreme, but I definitely think it'll become the oldest world record in the books, which I think only has like a year to go. And then um, Paris, I don't know how Carson Foster is feeling by then or who else is, who else would be, you know, kind of in the mix at that point, but it's not looking good. I mean, based on the times we saw this summer and like you said, it kind of the ideal situation for, for Diacito, like who else do we have at this point? Who's going to threaten that record? So that's a gentle sink for Tori, it sounds like. Yeah, a gentle sink. We can do gentle sink, slowly float to the bottom. We can do that. <laughs> Next on our list, Margot Gears coaching career will officially be kicking off as the head coach for the university of Alabama later this week. Uh, what do we see from Margot gear at Alabama sink or swim? Oh, I hate this one. I, I swim more female head coaches in the NCAA. I think I, I sink this one. I just, we won't know till, till we know whether she's been good or not, but what, what does she have in her resume that we, that we can go back on? And, you know, I keep, people keep telling me, oh, Ozzy will help her. Ozzy Cavedo, their, their associate head coach, who's a carryover from the previous staff. He's an experienced guy. He'll help her. Well, then why didn't you make him the head coach? I mean, I, I, I love more female head coaches in the NCAA, but I'm sinking this move. Um, I hope I'm wrong because it's going to be a great story if they if they succeed. Yeah, I think we don't know a lot of what, or at least I don't know a lot of what you know has gone down behind the scenes there. Um, obviously, for for people that may not remember, she was set to swim out, you know, try to make Tokyo, and then kind of transition to this job, and then kind of in a surprise move took it early. And to me, that I don't know. I'd love to know more about why that happened and and just exactly what they what they saw on her and why she decided to just make that jump early and how the swimmers feel about her. But I think I swim the move. I mean, obviously, as Braden said, more female head coaches in the NCAA, more young female head coaches in the NCAA. Like, I don't know. I can't, I'm, I'm having trouble sinking the decision to just veer from the normal course and, uh, you know, go with a young woman versus another middle-aged white guy. All right. And last on our list, uh, while big ISL team players, Energy Standard, London Roar, and Toronto Titans all have one match left in the regular season against each other, no less, uh, the defending league champions, Cali Condors, are finished with their regular season. They're moving on to the playoffs. Do we see them repeating as ISL champions in season three, sink or swim? Or you go first. I, I want you to take the first crack at this one. <laughs> uh, I was going to swim this only because just with Dressel, they've been so dominant. I hate to make it all about Dressel, but that's somewhat the reality of the situation. And I mean, they won. It was obviously closer, um, especially before the skins races, but they won their last match without him. And just the depth is there. And I, I just, they will need their big stars to come through and, and get it done. But I swim them repeating. I think it's hard to, to go against them right now. Uh, I, I think I will also swim. 
from this. Um, I think Energy Standard is going to get a lot better when they're back at full strength. Having Kirill Pergoda back on the, the, the team helps them in so many ways because they are so very, very weak in the men's breaststroke right now. Um, but I think I think Energy Standard will be leading going into the skins race, but I think Cali has enough different strengths um, in that skins race that they will come away from the win. So I'm, I'm, I am swimming the Cali Condors to defend their title. All right. This has been sink or swim. And this has been the swim, swim breakdown. Tune in every week for your top news in swimming.